You're listening to A Stranger Podcast, www.thestranger.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual Hey everybody, welcome to the very special Swine Flu, or as we're calling it at The Stranger, Snout Break edition of the Savage Lovecast. Not that I'm freaked out uh, about the swine flu, I'm not. I'm usually kind of a hypochondriac and a paranoid and kind of easily panicked and a worrywart. So when I told my friends that I was not really worried about swine flu, they of course responded with, that's one of the first symptoms of swine flu is that you're not worried about swine flu. So now I'm totally terrified of the swine flu, as I hope you are. I do hope, though, that there's one fringe benefit to the whole swine flu outbreak, and that is the end in gay land, because I really don't think straight people have ever adopted this kink slash identity. You know, shortly after gay, some gay guys started identifying as bears. Some gay guys started identifying as pigs, as in sort of sex pigs. They want to wallow in sex. They want to wallow in filth and be piggy, oink, oink. And you can go on fetish websites and you can buy piggy tails to put into a dude's butt so he can have a little corkscrew tail and a full-on black leather pig mask. Just Google pig mask. Google image pig mask when you're at home and then erase your history. I'm hoping that this is the end of the whole pig fetish bullshit because it's kind of gross. It's all, I mean, and that's part of it. You know, for the pig fetish gang, I think that's like part of it. They want to like look piggy and, you know, out there and gross and edgy and, you know, dirty. Uh, they're pigs. I really hope this is the end of the erotization of like the whole pig thing in Gayland because it was gross before swine flu and now it's just inappropriate. This episode is brought to you by adamandeve.com where you can find over 18,000 adult entertainment products for every lifestyle. To receive 50% off most any item, plus a free gift with most purchases, please visit adamandeve.com and enter SAVAGE at checkout. Hi, Dan. You seem terribly concerned that people, when they see the Centaur soap commercial, are going to be able to see this and wish they can fulfill their fetish, but they are not actually going to because that's using magic television. Well, Dan, I'm here to tell you that we who have fetishes that cannot be realized in real life, you needn't worry about us. It's really, really, really just fine. For example, my fetish is uh, giant men and being put into bodily orifices of giant men. And it has given me quite the lovely evening going to sleep. And I am really just perfectly satisfied knowing that that's never going to happen. And and it's, it's, it's okay. It's really just fine. I don't mind. Uh, I went into this fetish knowing that it wasn't really going to happen. I mean, I think it would be terribly scary if it really happened because I'm not really in control. I also have this fantasy of being assaulted and raped by a big, beautiful hunk of man. And again... I don't think I really want that to happen. So it's okay to have a fetish that is not going to be realized. You needn't worry. We're just fine. The Centaur Soap commercial gave lots and lots of people just an extra little visual fancy that they can have at night. 
Okay, we appreciate the concern, but we'll be just fine. Bye-bye. You know, it's funny when you say that uh, you're okay with your fantasy never being realized. There's all this rustling at that moment, and it sounds like you're actually being shoved into the orifice of a giant dude at that moment. You know, I, I don't think you speak for all impossible-to-realize fetish, fetishists out there. I think that there are some people who are actually distressed that they have fetishes that on this planet can never be realized. Uh, and I know that they're out there because I hear from them, because they write me long, tear-stained, if that's possible, emails about their sad, sad predicament. Uh, guys who are into giant women, guys who are – it's rarer – guys who are into giant men – uh, guys who are into space aliens with pretty dude bodies, guys who are into children, guys who are into all sorts of things that can't and won't ever happen are really kind of – most of them bummed. I'm glad that you're so well adjusted that you don't want to realize the fantasy. I also really doubt the depth and uh, commitment to your fantasy that you may have because you describe – yourself as having gone into this fetish. I went into this fetish knowing a fetish isn't a career choice. It's not something you pick. Fetishes, for the most part, are things that pick you. If you've been toying with the idea of being shoved into a giant dude's orifices, plural, orify, that's not the same thing as being sort of burdened with a fetish that just kind of arose within your heart and groin and erotic imagination all on its own and assumed control and dominance over your erotic imagination. You know, there's a lot of people out there because, you know, we live in a sex positive culture now. Hopefully, or, you know, we're making the culture more sex positive with every podcast we try. And there are some people out there who have no fetishes who feel like they're the freaks now because they're constantly hearing about all these other people with all their fetishes. Waka, and, you know, they get all the attention and and everyone's fascinated by all their crazy-ass fetishes. And there are people out there now who are affecting fetishes, people who are not fetishes, who are saying, oh, my fetishes, giant dudes are being shoved into their orifices. But I could take it or leave it. That's not a fetish. You are not a fetishist, sir. You are a poser. And at long last, sir, have you no indecency? Hi, Dan. I am a 31-year-old female, um who used to be married. <laughs> I'm still legally married. Uh, and I've been living the fabulous single life for about a year now. And my sex life is great. I listen to the podcast. Everything's awesome there. But I have a relationship-based question for you. Um, my erstwhile husband has recently moved the object of his infidelity into his single-wide trailer clear across town. And I don't begrudge him the chance to have a good relationship, although I don't think he's done the work the way I have in the past year. Um, my problem is extreme jealousy over the fact that this woman gets to live with my dog. Um, we never had kids. We just had pets. And I really miss living with my dog. Unfortunately, I can't have her at my apartment here. Um, and I really cannot get over the fact that this woman who I have no respect for, who I have never had the chance to have respect for, gets to live with my dog and I don't. Um, and it also is complicating the issue of me getting the dog when I have visitation days and things like that because now I'm coming face-to-face -face with this woman. And although my ex-husband and I have tried to be very respectful and graceful in our split and have done a really good job at remaining respectful and civil towards each other, now I'm faced with a situation where I don't have that grace and respect for this person who basically drove a wedge between me and my marriage. So... I don't really know how to handle it in a, the kick-ass way that I've handled everything else in this past year. 
And I know it's a really vanilla question, but I'd love to hear what you have to think about it. Get a new dog. Really, that's the solution. Um, if you can't get a new dog because you're so attached to this other dog that loves you so much, and I assure you that all dogs, so long as you feed them, will love you with equal passion and ardor, uh, get used to it. Get used to dealing with this woman. You know, in keeping with the swine flu theme, the more often you come face to face to her, the, the sooner you will build an immunity to the sight of her face, and it won't bother you as much as it bothers you now. On the subject of her having driven a wedge into your marriage, and I know this gets the whole like sort of inserter, insert T thing backwards in this heterosexual affair at. She couldn't have driven a wedge into your husband if he didn't want that wedge driven into him. It seems like you're exonerating him entirely uh, for the affair that sort of brought your marriage to a conclusion and heaping all your anger and scorn on this lady. You know, she couldn't have pried him off you if he wasn't anxious to jump. All right? So you might want to cut her a little slack, save a little bit of your anger for him, and get a new fucking dog. Hi. Um, I'm a 28-year-old straight male. Um, I'm seeing a 29-year-old female. Um, I really love her. She's great. She's a school teacher. Everything's perfect. Um, but the thing that bothers me is um, she has uh, a little thing in her past. There was a man who was the last man she was with before me, and I had to see him everywhere. Um, they only did it once. Somehow that came up in a wine-filled conversation. And the problem is that it makes me sick to my stomach. Now, this is her best friend's boyfriend's best friend. So I can't just, you know, divorce myself from any contact with these people because he's going to be around. And... I found myself flying off the handle at her over it. She really doesn't deserve it. And she's really a good person. Um, and she's really perfect for me. Uh, this is really out of character for me. I've never felt this kind of intense jealousy. And I want to get past it because, like I said, she doesn't deserve it. Um, how can I make myself feel better about the situation or maybe put it out of mind when I'm going to FC? This fellow who's, you know, a fat, sloppy, drunk that really, I mean, it makes me sick. I can't, I don't want to be, <laughs> it's like I feel this feeling like it's his, I'm his, getting his sloppy seconds. And I really don't want that. Um, sorry to have all the ums. I just would like to see if, I don't want to be this evil, jealous monster who gets upset, but I find myself you know, getting out of control, like I get the nervous stomach, and I get the shakes, I have the shakes right now just thinking about it. Um, how can I deal with having a former lover, well, one-time former lover, around all the time without going absolutely batshit? First, a technical point. Sloppy seconds, you'd have to be fucking her immediately after he fucked her. You can't fuck her years after, months after, weeks after, immediately after. So, you know, you say you feel like you're getting sloppy seconds, you're not we're saying you're getting sloppy seconds, but you need to take a deep fucking breath. You were barely taking any breaths at all in that phone call, a lot of shallow panting. Pick up the phone and call a therapist. I'm afraid that this probably isn't something that we can unpack. And you didn't leave a phone number and I would have liked to call you back. Not something we can really unpack on a jokey, stupid um, podcast. You have a serious problem and you are going to destroy this relationship if you keep huffing and puffing about this other dude's existence. 
You're 28 years old. You're going to date women roughly your own age. Your odds of dating a woman who has never had sex with anyone ever but you are really slim. So you need to work on and get over this bullshit, sexist, misogynistic hang-up of yours. If you don't like to see him, don't see him. My boyfriend has an ex-boyfriend that I don't like to see. We don't see him. She, you know, This dude may be what? Her best friend's boyfriend's best friend? My boyfriend is a best friend that I never see. They hang out without me. She can hang out with her best friend without you. You can cut him a wide swath and just like sort of shrug and say, I'm a little rational about it for now. But you need to be working on it at the same time with a shrink because this points to deeper-seated problems than just, you know, she fucked somebody else before you and you don't like him and, you have, and you're constantly having your nose rubbed in his existence, which prevents you from pretending that she was a pristine virgin when you met her at 28 and 29. She was a human being with life experiences and exes in a past just like you are. And if you can't accept her as a human being and equal – with life experiences and a past and exes, just like you have, cut her loose and go find a virgin and inflict yourself on her. I take that back. Don't inflict yourself on anybody until you unpack this with a shrink. This episode is brought to you by adamandeve.com, where you can find over 18,000 adult entertainment products for every lifestyle, including a great selection of toys, lingerie, and movies. 10 million customers love the quality, the fast and discreet shipping and the 100% satisfaction guarantee. Visit adamandeve.com today and receive 50% off most any item of your choice, plus a free gift with a purchase of $17 or more. That's adamandeve.com and enter SAVAGE at checkout. Hi, Dan. I'm Julia. I'm a 16-year-old bisexual girl living in Arizona and having some boyfriend issues. Here's the backstory. We've been good friends and hooking up off and on for a little over a year, and we've been dating a little over a month. He's so sexy and the cutest man I've ever known. And I'm so grateful to call him master. <laughs> but I just found out that he's been cheating on me. And I'm really upset over it. <sighs> the last thing I want to do is lose him, but I can't have my boyfriend today fucking the whole school. I trust him anymore. Any advice would be appreciated. Thank you. My boyfriend and I have a strict no-titty-fucking-the-whole-school policy in our relationship, so I can certainly appreciate where you're coming from. He's the cutest man you've ever known. You've only been dating for a month. You've known him for a year. And in that month, he's revealed himself to be unworthy of your affections. You say he's the cutest man you've ever known. You're 16. You haven't known many men. You will know more men and better men and cuter men. Don't know if you really want to call them all master. Uh, at the outset, at least. But you will know and meet and date better than him. Dump his lying, skanky, piece-of-shit ass now. You sound really upset. You sound like you're going to cry. And I feel for you. Don't fall into the trap of thinking there's no one else out there for you and you have to settle for this dude because you're never going to do any better because he's so hot and he's so sweet and he's so charming and he's so nice and he's titty-fucking the whole school and maybe you can cut him some slot. No. Remind yourself that you're just a teenager, that your whole dating life is ahead of you, and he, you don't have to settle for him. He's not the only one that's going to come along. There will be other men. You may meet someone better than him in a month. You may meet somebody better than him in a year. But you're not going to meet somebody better than him or be open to dating somebody better than him if somebody else who's better than him comes along. If you're mooning after him and still dating this guy who's titty-fucking – the whole school. Dump 
him now. Hi, Dan. I had a question because I was thinking about this this morning. Um, like, my husband always wants to have sex in the morning. I'm, like, really hard to wake up, and I'm always, like, just really sore and kind of, like, crabby. Leave me alone in the morning. Let me sleep. And um, so, like, sometimes he'll get off, get up and go and, like, be off in the bathroom or something. And, like, that's okay because um, we leave porn in there and stuff, and I know he does, but I always feel, like, really guilty about it, and then I get all mad that he had to get up and go and do that. Like, why couldn't you just, like, wait or something or go about waking me up differently so I wasn't crabby? Um, but I feel, like, really guilty about that, and I feel like I should, you know, because I'm here for him, I'm his wife, I feel like... He should always be able to get it from me, and he shouldn't have to get frustrated and get up and go and do that. And sometimes I'll, like, kind of, like, pick on him about it. Like, oh, you just went and fucking beat off anyway. So, you know, anyway, I wanted to know if it, if it was going to probably do any damage for me to, like, kind of make fun of him or get mad about it. Here's the funny thing about people leaving me their phone numbers so I can give them a call back if I have a follow-up question is we don't schedule those callbacks. We just sort of leap out of the bushes and try to talk to people and catch them wherever we do uh, or can. And often they're at work or they're you know with somebody that makes it impossible for them to actually have a conversation with me about their skanky sex life. So I just called this woman back and she's in the car with her dad. Uh, I asked her to put her dad on the phone so I could speak to him, but she refused. And so now I'm just going to record some advice for her. For you, because uh, hopefully she's listening now next week. Um, but, I, but I really wanted to ask you this follow-up question. If you're not horny in the morning and he go beats off, what the fuck is the problem? He'll make more cum. His balls are always making more cum. He is allowed to beat off. Men are horny, and sometimes we just need to like get the spunk out of our nuts so that we can concentrate on breakfast. And if you're not horny in the morning and he's willing to go rub one out and then fuck you later in the day, everybody wins. You didn't say in your call, oh, he's masturbating in the morning and then isn't horny for 24 more fucking hours until the next morning when he's masturbating because I'm a bitch in the morning. You didn't say that. If he can beat off and rub one out, leave him the fuck alone. Don't – yeah. Is it going to do damage if you mock him and tease him and, you know, act the douchebag about it? Yeah. It's going to do really serious long-term damage to your sexual life with your husband, your sex life with your husband. Knock it the fuck off. I'd say the same thing to him about you beating off. And you know what? It's not his job to wake you up in some super special, magical way that puts you in the mood for sex in the morning. You know, hopefully he's not, like, when he's horny in the morning, elbowing you in the ribs as hard as he can to see if you're up for it. But if you're not up for it in the morning, him rubbing one out every once in a while is a good compromise, especially if he's not a whiner and a complainer about it. Don't you, you don't own every orgasm that he's going to have for the rest of his fucking life. It's not a referendum on your attractiveness or the health of your sexual relationship if your partner beats off occasionally. Leave him alone. Enjoy your sex life. Stop running your mouth because you're going to ruin your sex life. Um, hi, Dan. Uh, my name is Sarah, and I'm 22 years old. Um, I was calling because I had a question about open relationships. 
me and my boyfriend, who is about 23, have been dating for two and a half years. And um, he was kind of interested in, you know, not really necessarily being tied down. And I suggested from listening to your show, maybe we try something like an open relationship. Um, we're going really slow with it. And I just was wondering what um, advice you might have, like how to go about it. We both um, want to stay like extremely emotionally attached to each other and, um, you know, not really looking at dating people, more like just kind of fooling around. Joining me on the phone right now to help answer your question is Tristan Taramino, who has a terrific website uh, with her columns and writings and links to her porn uh, called PuckerUp.com. She's also the author of Opening Up, A Guide to Creating and Sustaining Open Relationships, and she has a new website about open relationships, how to create and sustain them, called open, OpeningUp.net. Uh, hey, Tristan. Hey, Dan. Uh, how are you doing? Good. Thanks for having me. Oh, thanks for coming on. I understand I'm speaking to you uh, in Chelsea. Yeah, I'm literally on the street on my cell phone. So if someone comes by and yells, it's just a typical New York moment where someone's yelling at you and you don't know why. Well, hopefully that person won't sneeze on you and give you the swine flu. That's oh, God, don't say that. Don't even joke. <laughs> okay, we won't. We'll stop with the swine flu jokes. So, she, you know, it sounds like it might not be the best beginning. And For my take, where, you know, he said, I don't want to be tied down, and she countered with, oh, I'll have an open relationship then. Is that a great place to start? You know, I don't think that there's a bad place to start. I'm not one of those people who feels like everyone has to meet each other, like at a polyamory workshop, in order to enter into a healthy, open relationship. I mean, those are ideal circumstances, but, you know, sometimes people cheat on each other, and that's how they become, that's how they decide to be in an open relationship. So I don't know that there's any bad way to start. And I kind of like that they're both, considering it, you know, that one person doesn't seem really reluctant and the other one is like, uh, I really want to do this. It seems like they're both on the same page, okay. which I think is important. So yeah. how do you go about it? How do you get started? Well, I think that you need to set ground rules, and that's really what's most important is you need to think about, okay, what do I feel okay about? If, if if we're going to have sex with other people, what's okay to happen and what's not? Um, and be really specific. I love that she used the term fooling around. Yeah, you got to define that because fooling around to one person is um, oral sex with a happy ending to the next person, right? Right. So I feel like the first thing that they need to do is sit down and say, okay, what's okay and what is totally off limits? At least at the start. It seems often that in a lot of successful open relationships, there are baby steps where at first you you do oral with somebody else, you can roll around with somebody else, but, you know, it's save the vaginal or, you know, the total penetration fucking for me. And then when somebody sees that, you know, their partner messing around with anybody else doesn't really, you know, make them love them any less and isn't a threat to the primary relationship, then they lend them off the reins a little bit. Yeah, baby steps is a great, great idea. And I think you can have as many rules and agreements as you want. That's the important thing is that people often say that as they get into it, they let go of some of the rules, which they thought were really, really important in the beginning. But as they progress through it, they realize, you know what, that, yeah, that's not a big deal. What's actually, what I think is actually going on at those moments is once they see that their partner will obey rules, <laughs> that's what they wanted to see. Like, I will set some arbitrary oh my God. And once yes. I see that you will abide by them, then I will make you abide by fewer. 
Dan, that is such a, an important point, and it's one of the points that I make when I do my workshops, which is that, you know, these open relationships are really about trust, right? And how do you best build trust? Well, set up some rules and follow them. And I know that that sounds like total common sense, but people actually get tripped up on that part. But when you actually do follow rules and you don't question them and you say, okay, that's what you need to feel okay, sure, then I think that, that then you can build that trust and then your partner can see, okay, this isn't going to get totally out of control. I think I can, I think I can deal with this because I trust you. One of her questions was, you know, she's worried about preserving the primary attachment. That right. Make sure that this doesn't undermine their bond. Right. You know, I think, first, there are no guarantees in life. And so they can sit down and say, hey, we're just going to mess around with people or we're just going to have sex with people, but no romance and no love. No dating. That was the word. No dating. But, um, you know, we have feelings, and we can't always control those feelings. So I think people can go into this with the best of intentions, but they still have to be prepared that what might come out of it is some, some deeper feelings. But that's okay. Whether that happens or not, I think we need to let go of some of this idea that if you are really grooving on someone, then you're grooving less on someone else. You know what I mean? It's, I think it's a holdover from these myths about monogamy, which is that, you know, there's one person out there who you're meant to be with and they're going to give you everything. And if, and if, you're if you love, start... if you're really in love with somebody, you can't, you're not capable of having feelings for anybody else. Exactly. And you're you you're for somebody else, completely satisfied. You're not really in love with that other person anymore. Yeah, see, all that stuff you got to sort of de-brainwash yourself on because it's just not true. And so I think maybe the lesson here for them is we can be emotionally attached and we can we can form other attachments to other people, even if it's just for one night or maybe it's once a month just for sex, and it's okay. And it's not threatening to them and it's that those other attachments aren't in competition with theirs and that theirs still is valuable. And it, we don't have to question the value of their attachment just because they may be, you know, hot for other people. Now let's talk about the other people. Because when I hear people say, you know, we're going to try openness, but I don't want any romance with other people. I don't want any dating with other people. What I often hear them saying is, I want my partner, if they're fucking somebody else, to treat them like shit. To treat them like they're not a human being, they're a disposable piece of meat. Treat me like I'm a human being and you love me. Treat them right. like garbage so right. they're threatened by their existences. And that is not who would consent to be the third or fourth in that sort of situation. You can't bring somebody else in if you have an open relationship. If the condition is, oh, you, Mr. Third, and you, Miss Fourth, uh, are welcome to you know suck our dicks or uh, eat our pussies, but... We're not going to engage with you as human beings. There's a certain amount of romance required in any sort of certainly, and I think, and I think the level of romance and the level of emotional attachment is different for every person. There are people who can have a good time, who can socialize with someone, fuck them, and then it's like, wow, yeah, I'd love to just you know keep being your friend. Like that's it, right? And then there are other people for whom their sexual attraction actually builds from their emotional attraction, right? They're into someone, and then they're like, hmm, and now I kind of want to sleep with that person. So I think I think the important thing is, is just to pick an appropriate person or, or people. And 
And it's not so much about don't fall in love with that person, but it's about setting boundaries and it's about really telling that person up front, hey, you know what, I'm not looking for another girlfriend. I'm actually just looking for a fuck buddy. Mm-hmm. And if you're looking for something deeper, then we're not a good match. And to trust your instincts on that, because I think certainly, you know, different people have different agendas when they're hooking up with people who are in open relationships. And you've got to sort of sniff that out. If someone feels like they're maybe angling to be another girlfriend or another wife, then maybe you've got to reconsider that. But you can't find up if your partner has, you know, a regular piece on the side if you have an open relationship and your partner demonstrates consideration for that other person's feelings. No, no, I, I absolutely agree. Up. You know, I know somebody who's in an open relationship and he got all upset because his boyfriend got this guy that he'd sort of been messing around with for months a birthday present. And it wasn't like a new car, it was like a T-shirt. Right. And he blew but up. But see, that's, that's that is do. big for some people. Right. Yeah, exactly. Some people would say that's romantic behavior, and we said no romance. I mean, I knew a couple where they had decided no romantic behavior, right? Mm-hmm. And then one of them spotted the other one with their little fuck buddy at, uh, at lunch. And they were like, and, and, and they sort of freaked out and went home, and they said, oh, my God, I saw you out with this person. And he said, well, we ran into each other, and basically we both had to eat, so we went to lunch. And she was like, but that's romance. That's a date. And he was like, well, it was at a diner. So they were on two totally different pages, but I really think that both of them felt equally confused. Like one of them was really hurt, and the other one never intended to hurt them. So that's when you got to get real specific about what is it about seeing me out with someone that feels horrible, that feels threatening. And let's let's talk about that. That's probably more interesting, and if we can get to the bottom of that. And that's a little then... crazy. You can eat each other out. You can't eat out with each other. It's a little <laughs> nuts. It is, but people have these boundaries, you know? And I think they do. Their boundaries, but, but often, you know, when people make these packs with their primary partner, it, it creates circumstances that I think are inconsiderate of the thirds or fourths or fifths or sixths. You know, if well, and that's why I think also you got to – I mean, but I think a strong non-primary partner, these, these thirds and fourths that we're talking about, has to, has to speak up themselves and has to think just because I'm not the alpha or the primary doesn't mean I get to get walked all over because that's no fun and no one wants that. Lots of terrific info at openingup.net and Tristan's book Opening Up, A Guide to Creating and Sustaining Open Relationships is terrific. I've read it. I recommend it. And thank you, Tristan, for joining us today. So it's not just callers we sometimes just leap out of the bushes at, out of the blue. We call them back and catch them at the wrong moment uh, without a warning. It's also our invited guest experts. Sometimes we just call them up without any warning. We catch them on street corners in New York City. Uh, Thanks again, Tristan. Once again, puckerup.com is Tristan's main website. Openingup.net is her website about how to get an open relationship going and off the ground. And Tristan's the author of shitloads of books uh, the Ultimate Guide to Anal Sex for Women, Down and Dirty Sex Secrets, Tantra for Erotic Empowerment, and also, uh, and relevant to this caller, Opening Up a Guide to Creating and Sustaining Open Relationships. You should check it out. Hi, Dan. My name's Paul. I just finished listening to episode 129, um, where you're talking to a young trans girl named Kita who is having problems with her family. Um, I think the advice that you gave her to just think about where you would be in two years is probably the best advice you could give her. Um, 
I was in very similar situation to her now. I'm I'm currently 19, but when I did live with my parents and I was out um, and living openly as a trans guy, um, my parents had very similar reactions where they pretty much cut me off from the whole entire world. You know, I wasn't allowed on the internet or, you know, to seek any sort of community. And I think the best advice I was ever given was to just focus on, you know, what I wanted to do or what I wanted to be in the future and to focus on getting out, not necessarily running away. Um, granted, at the time and still currently, I lived in L.A. And we do have a very prominent trans community and we do have, uh, you know, safe houses for youth and stuff. But it's a lot harder um, to actually, you know, find those once you're out of the house and on your own. Um, also, when she does, um, my parents kicked me out the moment I turned 18. There are many ways to get money that she needs, not only working. Currently, I work full-time um, and go to school full-time, but there's so many possibilities of scholarships and financial aid, and, you know, you can find plenty of jobs. You know, if her family is probably as harsh as mine were and, you know, remain being so, it's going to be probably part of the hardest, the hardest part of her life. But, you know, the most important thing is to remember that she can still live a, a pretty average mundane life of work and school um, without having to, you know, go out on the street and, you know, have sex for money and other things like that. You know, she can, she can definitely find an honest and responsible and respectful way of getting around and growing up and becoming adult, um, whether her parents and her family choose to accept her or not. Thanks very much for your call and for your advice. It always helps to hear from someone who's been there. I appreciate it. Hi, Dan. Um, so this is the gay male escort. You answered his question last week. I was the guy that called you up wondering about how to tell partners or, or future guys how to, uh, you know, how I used to be an escort. Um, well, I just thought you should hear some positive feedback. Um, uh, I took your advice, and um, I mean, I had actually taken your advice a while ago and had talked about um, my past with the, the guy that I'm seeing now. But I just wanted to let you know, because um, I just heard the podcast, that I um, the things went well, and... Um, he and I are going on our 11th month dating together, and things are good. We've had a few good conversations. You know, I've been really honest with him and told him he could ask me any questions that he needed to ask, and he's had some, and I'm sure he'll have more. And, you know, we both had um, a myriad of HIV tests just to put each other at ease and all that stuff, and we both, you know, did them together, and things are good. We're both healthy and happy, and um, I just wanted to say thank you for the advice. It was exactly what I probably already knew in my head, but needed to hear outside of it. So um, anyway, thanks again for the good advice. Thanks very much for the call. It's always nice to hear uh, that my head isn't so far up my ass and I'm French kissing myself, that the advice I give every once in a while is decent and works out. So good for you for being honest, good for your boyfriend for not being a freak, and good for me for getting it right once in a while. 206-201-2720 is the number here at the podcast. If you'd like to record a call for a future show, please leave a callback number in case we have a follow-up question and we promise to surprise you in your car with your dad if we can. 
Uh, you download us every week at www.thestranger.com slash savage. I blog every day at slog.thestranger.com. And me and the tech-savvy at-risk youth, barring a swine flu outbreak here at Savage Love HQ, we'll be back at you next week with another installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thanks so much for listening. <laughs>